Hello. Yes. Hi. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Good. It's very、really、nice to speak with you. Yes,、yeah, nice to speak with you as well. Thank you so much for for coming on.、Uh, I'm very excited to speak with you about basically what's been going on the last couple of years. For listeners who are hearing about you for the first time, you're an investigative journalist who has written on various topics, including foreign policy, the economy, and health freedom. More recently, and the reason I wanted to have you on is because of the stellar work you've done debunking all the myths and disinformation surrounding COVID, researching and stating all these pesky truths our overlords don't want us to know. About the virus, its effective treatments, the quote vaccines, and the superiority of natural immunity, and you've done such a thorough job at reporting on the corruption of our captured so-called health agencies and the role the government has played in this so-called quote pandemic. Used with zero compunction as a pretext to control us. So I'd love for you to tell us more about that, and moreover about a subject you've zeroed in on in your last book, the war on informed consent, which has been illegally denied to the general population by these tyrannical governments so drastically, basically the last year and a half. So, Jeremy, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. Well, to start, I mean, let's start with the the latter topic because that really informed consent really is the focus of everything that I do in terms of writing about the subject of health freedom,、um, and that really is the key underlying issue: is that、um, there is no informed informed consent doesn't happen in the United States.、Uh, there's two reasons for that. One is that people are being coerced into accepting vaccinations, COVID nineteen vaccines being a perfect example. Um, but even when people, you know, willingly and voluntarily accept vaccination without a, a feeling of coercion, they're still not exercising the right to informed consent because, for the most part, people make decisions based on disinformation that they have received from the the government, from quote unquote public health officials, from the entire, really, from the entire quote unquote public health uh, establishment, uh, as well as the mainstream media. They're being misinformed, and there's no better, in my mind, there's no Better example of that than the treatment of natural immunity by the U.S. government and the public health establishment. For example, when the, the vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccines, were first authorized for emergency use by the FDA, the CDC claimed that the evidence indicated that、uh, natural immunity was short-lived, that it would not be durable. That was false at the time the CDC made that statement because studies have already shown that antibodies, contrary to earlier reports that antibodies were disappearing from the blood of people,、um, studies had already shown that it falsified those early early reports, showing that antibodies capable of neutralizing the virus persisted in the blood of the vast majority of individuals who had recovered from a SARS-CoV-2 infection. There were also indications. In fact, they actually observed in some people the level of antibodies actually increased between three and four months after recovery, indicating that antibody production had shifted from short-lived plasma blasts that circulate in the blood、uh, to long-lived bone marrow plasma cells, which is a known immunologic marker of long-term immunity. They had known that was SARS the 2000, after the 2003 outbreak,、uh, the original you know, SARS-1 virus,、uh, that 17 years later. Individuals still had T cell responses, T cell immunity, to to that virus, which you know again, the indication of long-term immunologic memory. So that was already known.
by the time we, at the time the CDC was making that statement. About a month later, uh, the CDC removed that statement from their website. Instead of claiming that the evidence indicated it was long lived or short lived, they instead just said that everyone who's already recovered from infection needs to get vaccinated. Uh, on the grounds that we don't know how long natural immunity lasts. Well, that's technically true, but the, re- what, the, the what the CDC was withholding from the public was the fact that we don't know how long it lasts because to date studies hadn't shown any evidence of waning immunity. <laughs> and then that continues to be true to this day. There is some waning in terms of the sterilizing immunity, meaning the ability of antibodies circulating in the blood to stop infection. Um, however, that's not the only uh, immune response. There's also cellular immunity that, that limits the infection and prevents disease. So, uh, and, and the finding of long, long-lived uh, immunologic memory had, had been confirmed by May uh, of 2021. And yet the CDC continued to go on claiming that natural immunity was weak and short-lived and inferior. In August, they came out explicitly claiming that uh, the vaccines induced superior immunity. That was a lie, a blatant lie. That was, it did, Basically, the totality of evidence evidence showed that that wasn't true. Um, so CDC was just blatantly lying. And, of course, the media and public health establishment ran with that. Now, just more recently, just in, uh, in December, CDC researchers published a study acknowledging that, yes, natural immunity uh, offered better protection against the Delta variant than the vaccines. And so, you know, I had been censored. I had been blocked repeatedly on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, from reporting that natural immunity was superior. In fact, LinkedIn to this day continues to block me. Uh, they, they just, <laughs> I, in fact, I wrote an article discussing how the CDC had now acknowledged that natural immunity offered better protection and LinkedIn blocked me from sharing that, <laughs> that article. So you can't even share, you know, you can't even share information coming from the CDC if the CDC's own information, its own research contradicts the CDC's policy statements. If it contradicts the initial messaging, which was in line with the overall narrative, this is what is crazy. They lie, then they suppress information that they've posted previously, and the the level of manipulation is is just crazy to the point where they even change the definition. So they actually change the definition several times of uh, herd immunity. Yeah, the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, actually at one point changed uh, the definition on an FAQ page, one of their frequently asked questions pages, I think it was, and they had a definition of herd immunity that had been on that page for a long time, of course, acknowledging that, um, of course, natural immunity contributes to the development of herd immunity, naturally. It's common sense. Everybody knows that. And yet they, they changed that definition to remove that and said that it's that natural immunity is a concept that only applies to vaccines and vaccine-induced immunity, which, of course, you know, from the very beginning, I was very... I'm skeptical of, of claims about vaccine effectiveness and saying, you know, when they came out, if, as, as we should all recall, don't let them gaslight us into forgetting this, that when the vaccines were sold, the COVID-19 vaccines were sold to the public on the grounds that that would be the path to ending the pandemic by inducing a durable, sterilizing immunity, meaning protection against infection and disease, infection and transmission. And that, uh, and, and that, that was the path to herd immunity. That's what we were repeatedly told. Well, I kept pointing out the fact that there was no evidence that these vaccines would prevent transmission, which actually the FDA acknowledged. I mean, you can read the FDA, the FDA's, um, you know, when they authorized the, the vaccines for emergency use in those documents, they acknowledged that they didn't have, they, they weren't studied <laughs> to determine whether they prevented transmission. And yet that was the basis, that was the public messaging 
to, again, this is, it goes back to the point about there is no informed consent. So people accepted those vaccines believing that if they got two doses of, of an mRNA vaccine, that they would have long-term protection against infection. They wouldn't be able to be, be infected. They wouldn't be able to spread the virus to other people. They'd be contributing to herd immunity. That was all lies from the start, as, as, as everyone now knows. I mean, we, we now know. I mean, it's, it's clear. The data is in that they don't prevent infection and transmission. Well, actually, now even the European Medicines Agency has come out saying that it compromises one's immunity. The vaccines, quote, vaccines, the jabs, I don't like calling them vaccines, the jabs compromise one's immunity. Yeah, the EMA, uh, I don't recall the individual's name, but there was a, a high-level official at the EMA who came out and, and pointed out that, you know, repeated boosters... Because obviously there's a problem of waning immunity with these vaccines. They, uh, unlike the durability of natural immunity, um, the immunity induced by, by the vaccines wanes quite rapidly after several months. It it's, it's becomes insignificant. And so, uh, you know, of course, the, the public health authorities' response to that is, oh, well, we just need more vaccines and everyone needs to get a booster and they need to get another booster. And the, the, you know, the EMA official pointed out that, well, that's not, that's not a sustainable solution. And, and in fact, that could that could actually damage people's immune systems, um, you know, with, with too much immune stimulation in that in that way with the with the uh, with the vaccines it could have detrimental effects on people's immune systems. And that's that is one of the concerns about, you know, because we don't know the long term effects of these vaccines. And one of the, one of the biggest unknowns in my mind relates to a phenomenon known as original antigenic sin, whereby the initial priming of the immune system can prejudge um, subsequent immune responses in the event of re-exposure to um, a, a variant of that virus. So in other words, original antigenic sin doesn't necessarily occur. Um, it could be the case, you know, it appears to be the case with most individuals with natural immunity that, you know, they have an infection, they they recover from SARS-CoV-2 infection, they, have, they develop natural immunity. If they are exposed again to a variant, um, they have an adaptive immune response uh, that quickly adapts to the new variant, and they're able to generate antibodies that are that have a high affinity for that new new variant. Um, whether this appears to be less true with the vaccines, where it's, it appears to be the case that the vaccines, of course, were designed to uh, induce an immune response to the original, the spike protein only of the original Wuhan strain of the virus, which is now extinct except in labs, and so. The data appear to me to indicate that what happens is that actually prejudices their immune response, so they have an, a suboptimal immune response to variants, where they don't have the ability to adapt to the new variant, and their immune systems continually try to put out um, immune responses to the original spike protein of the Wuhan strain, as opposed to adapting and updating uh, to be able to have higher affinity antibodies for the for the variants. That's not to say that they don't have neutralizing capability, but it's, it's just less in terms of the opportunity cost of natural immunity. You know, I, I'm not a doctor, uh, Jeremy, but this is something that Dr. Mike Yeadon, uh, the ex-head of Research Advisor, said from the very start, there is no justification for the jabs because the variations between the strains are so minimal that your immune system is completely capable naturally of fighting these variants off. And this is what they've done with the propaganda the last two years where they've tried to scare people with each variant in order to uh, get them to go and get these jabs and these boosters. 
Yeah, in fact, they claimed, I mean, they made that claim explicitly that the vaccines would offer better protection against the variants than natural immunity did, which was complete and utter nonsense from the beginning. It's just, just, just intuitively, on a, on a, just a fundamental base, basis, just immunologically speaking. Again, the, the vaccines induce an immune response to the spike protein only, whereas when you're actually infected, that's the whole, the whole quote-unquote live virus. And so you have immune responses induced against not only the spike protein, you have the, there's the, the nucleocapsid protein, the membrane protein, and other epitopes around the virus. And you have, you have a total immune response to all of the epitopes in the virus, which offers much broader protection. So even if, and the spike protein is where the mutations are occurring that, that are, you know, result in, in, you know, these very, like Omicron being labeled a variant of concern. Why? Because it causes more severe disease? No. Precisely because that they were concerned that it was going to escape vaccine-induced immunity. The chances of that are far less with natural immunity because you have a much broader array of immune responses, a much broader repertoire of immune responses. And, and so even if, when those mutations happen in the spike protein, you know, you still have uh, immune responses to other parts of the virus. And so it, it's just common sense and it's just basic immunology that natural immunity would offer superior protection against the variants, as proved to be the case now admitted by the CDC with Delta. They were claiming that the vaccines would offer superior immunity, but that was false. It was always false. And they never had any basis for that claim whatsoever. It was just, a, again, it's just a straight up lie, right, right straight from the beginning. And so they lie and they lie and they lie. And, they, they, and they, the purpose of the lies, of course, to manufacture consent for their vax, uh, mass vaccination agenda, which is a political. They have a, they have a political goal of achieving a high vaccination rate. Um, and so they've gone so far as to deceive and even try to coerce people who are already immune into getting these pharmaceutical products. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, there is no informed consent. Informed consent doesn't happen. I really encourage listeners to um, go to your website, which I'll, of course, link in the description box, and read your articles because you do, as I said, a great job at showing how these captured government agencies like the CDC, FDA, etc. have been so deceitful. I mean, you've gone through all the evidence and digested it to show this to us very clearly, but there's a specific question I'd like to ask you regarding the written statements you've submitted to the UN Human Rights Council through the scientific network called PACE, you know, alongside other prominent figures like, as I mentioned, Michael Eden and Claire Craig, Chris Newby. And so the question I have for you is, what do you make of the UN and the WHO's traditional position on informed consent? And have they ever really worked in our best interest, in your opinion? Well, no. In fact, that was the subject of the document I had submitted, um, I had written on behalf of PACE, that was published uh, you know, as a UN General Assembly document, UN Human Rights Council document, in to, uh, to like September 2020, I believe it was. Uh, that was the topic of that document, mm -hmm. uh, was, was how, I mean, number one, I mean, that document was titled Vaccine Mandates Violate the Right to Informed Consent, and explaining, uh, just reminding UN members and the UN organization that, uh, that there are international treaties that you know, are tantamount to international law that protect the right to informed consent and recognize this fundamental human right and are designed to protect people, uh, governments, from abusing in violating that human right. And so it was a reminder to the UN organization that that, that that is the case, and also pointing out the fact that the UN itself was violating that obligation. Uh, an example being uh, the Maldives had created a law 
forcing parents to vaccinate according to this, their schedule there. Um, and the UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, uh, praised the Maldives for this, for passing this law that was, you know, grossly violative of the right to informed consent. So that, that's a good example of how the UN itself has been complicit in violations of the right to informed consent. Um, incidentally, one of the vaccines on that schedule in that country was, was the DDP vaccine, the uh, whole cell pertussis vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and whole cell pertussis, which uh, the best scientific evidence to date indicates actually is associated with an increased rate of childhood mortality. The WHO, World Health Organization, knows this. It's aware of the data. It's aware of the science. And yet they dismiss it on the grounds that it comes from observational studies, um, you know, where, you know, they're not randomized controlled trials. Observational studies are, are, are subject to selection biases and things, and so they dismiss the evidence on the grounds that these are observational studies, while at the same time accepting evidence uh, of what are called non-specific effects that are not detrimental in the case of DTP, but but um, beneficial in the case of the measles vaccines, but also coming from observational trials. So they have two different standards. So if observational studies. Um, indicate that there might be a beneficial, non-specific specific effect of a vaccine. The WHO accepts that evidence. On the other hand, if the evidence indicates a detrimental, non-specific effect of a vaccine, um, meaning that the, the vaccine uh, increases the risk of child, children dying from other causes, so they might be protected against pertussis, but they're dying from other things because it has a detrimental effect on their immune systems. It makes them more vulnerable to other diseases. And so the WHO will reject that evidence. So it has two different standards completely hypocritical, uh, and, and of course, the WHO is promoting this vaccine despite the evidence indicating that it's causing more harm than good um, and just ignoring the scientific evidence. And, and so that's another example of the WHO uh, violating the right to informed consent. Uh, WHO sponsored a trial of the malaria vaccine where, where uh, parents were not being given informed consent, they weren't being informed that early trial data indicated that that vaccine also was associated with an increased risk of childhood mortality, especially in girls. Parents were not being told, parents and you know whose children were enrolled in that trial in Africa were not being told about this. And it goes on and on. Um, so that, that's actually what that document focused on is, is how these agencies themselves uh, that are supposed to be there, um, you know, upholding international law and upholding human rights are instead complicit in, in grossly violating individuals' human rights. This is also uh, a document I'm going to link to in the description box because it's 1,500 words, but you've said everything in such limited uh, space. You just covered it all, and uh, it's a very strong document. You cite all these examples of how the WHO and the UN are complicit in administering these jabs in different parts of the world, knowing that there are clear negative adverse reactions and as you say they just cherry pick the data they want to use to justify these medical operations in different parts of the world yeah precisely no so you did a great job with that one tell us about the next one that is about to be published yeah um so just more recently i, I wrote another one um kind of a follow-up i began by kind of reminding once again reminding the u.n organization that that the right to informed consent is recognized and protected under international law. Uh, and then just following up on COVID-19 vaccines in particular and, and pointing out how COVID-19 vaccine mandates that are, have been implemented by uh, governments all around the world are not about public health. 
has nothing to do with public health. And I demonstrate that just incontrovertibly, but again, pointing out how even people who are already immune are being coerced into accepting a risk-carrying pharmaceutical product. So even though, you know, again, and again, pointing out how the CDC has is itself been spreading disinformation about vaccines. Because, of course, we're always told that anyone who doesn't get vaccinated, well, they must be misinformed. They've been exposed to misinformation about vaccines. Well, that's the nicest thing they say about us. You know, we're selfish, we're yes. extremists, we're terrorists, you know, I mean, we're and, total and pariahs. The fact that the greatest purveyors of misinformation and disinformation about vaccines is the public health establishment, is the U.S. government and the mainstream media. There are no greater purveyors of misinformation about vaccines than those establishments. And so I point, I point this out, and giving, again, re, kind of reviewing the example I just provided earlier of the CDC consistently and routinely lying, blatantly lying, and saying things that are completely contradicted by the scientific evidence um, in order to, again, manufacture consent for vaccine vaccinations, even among people who are already immune. And, and so, you know, obviously, if you, if you already have immunity, well, then what's the point of getting a accepting the risk of getting a vaccine that, that could potentially harm you. Um, it makes no sense logically or scientifically or medically. And so going through those examples in the document um, and, and pointing out how, uh, you know, logically it, it cannot be the case that the main concern that the primary goal here is to better public health. It's clear that the primary goal uh, of these policies is to achieve a high vaccination rate, which is a policy goal. That is not the same as a policy goal of how do we how do we make make sure that we have a, a healthy population? Um, those are two different things, and so I just that's what the document essentially is about, and just it, it just making the case that these policies have nothing to do with public health. They're about power, control, profits for the pharmaceutical industry, and achieving political goals. You know, it's just it's just insane when you look at what's happened the level of coordination and cooperation between, you know, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, all of our different governments, and these international organizations and bodies, how they all worked together in order to enforce these policies, which have nothing to do with health. At the end of the day, they are just using the pretext of a so-called pandemic to achieve their goals, which you said, you know, power, control, I think it goes even further. It's like the latest battle in this war towards bringing all of us towards a centralized government, which is what I talk about on almost all of my calls. Yes. But on that note, you know, COVID was a was just exactly this a coordinated operation. This is warfare. It has nothing to do with health. And so for that reason, I really recommend your documents, which I'll link because it really explains the mechanism in a very concise way. But I also wanted to recommend to listeners speaking with you, thinking about this, but there's this documentary called Trust WHO on the 2009 H1N1 pseudo pandemic uh, made by Lillian Frank. And it also exposes the shenanigans going on over at the WHO between them and the governments and the pharma industrial complex. And uh, it's an episode, the H1N1 episode, which wasn't in the too distant past, but it illustrates this coordination really well. And it was certainly a very good preview of what we're going through with COVID right now. Yes, certainly. I agree. Uh, based on my own uh, research into that particular pandemic, uh, the WHO <laughs> really embarrassed itself, I think, with its 
policy statements and positions and its promotion of, of vaccines. And, you know, that that's also another good example of how, you know, without long-term trials, without trials that look at long-term health outcomes, um, you really, there's the, the claim that a vaccine is safe and effective is scientifically meaningless because, of course, in, in Europe, they rolled out, uh, you know, they pushed through, rapidly pushed through a, a vaccine for that novel strain of H1N1, um, ended up causing narcolepsy. Um, in 1976, there was the swine flu scare in the United States, and the, and the government here, the CDC, rolled out. Um, again, they, they pushed through uh, a vaccine, um, rapidly produced it, very limited studies, safety studies, um, and, and they, they had a mass vaccination campaign that year. And there ended up being no pandemic. I mean, there was no pandemic. The, the, the scare turned out to be, you know, just a, just that, just a scare. Um, and they had millions of people got, got this vaccine, and it ended up causing um, GBS, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a very much like a polio-like paralytic disease, an autoimmune disease. Um, so th- these are examples of, of how, you know, <laughs> the That's dangers of, of, of rolling out rapidly, you know, a new vaccine without proper long-term studies looking at, and, and not just looking at um, specific health outcomes, like, you know, does it, you know, if with this, this COVID-19 vaccines, for example, do they prevent COVID-19? Well, that's not the only question. The question is, well, do they lower all-cause mortality? <laughs> you know, like what about other health outcomes? You know, what about autoimmune diseases? What about cancer? What about fertility rates? There's a lot, a lot of different health outcomes that can be potentially related to vaccines. And so this is what we really, really need to be looking at. We need to be looking at health outcomes. Um, and that's actually one of the key points I make in my book, The War on Informed Consent. Um, that with the CDC's childhood schedule, the CDC, you know, that they're narrowly focused on the goal of achieving a high vaccination rate, but they're not asking the question: Is is you know, 72 doses or more of vaccines by the time children reach adulthood, you know, is that actually, do we actually have a healthier childhood population as a result of that? And the data indicate uh, that the answer to that is negative. That no, that that in fact, um, in, in fact, I, I go into de- details about a study in that in that book showing that uh, the, the, the patients of Dr. Paul Thomas on Oregon um, in his practice, because he practices informed consent, uh, so he has a, a higher population of, of patients who were actually completely unvaccinated, so he was able to do a comparison and showing that, the, in fact, the, the children in his, unvaccinated, in his practice who were unvaccinated appear to be the healthiest children in his practice. And as you describe in your book, he suffered uh, great consequences for exposing this. Yeah, in fact, you know, within days of, of that study being published, his license was suspended by the Oregon Medical Board, which was clear retaliation for publishing a study that undermined their policy goal. It wasn't that, you know, again, it, it, because they're so narrowly focused on, on the policy goal, of we need to achieve a high vaccination rate. So any information, and this is the thing, you know, the term misinformation coming back to that point, they're using it as a euphemism. So misinformation um, in, in the common parlance, simply means any information, no matter how scientifically valid and factual, that might cause someone to think twice about accepting a vaccination. That's what misinformation means. It's a euphemism. And so any, informa- any information, no matter how untruthful and deceitful and contrary to what the science actually says, that would encourage people to get vaccines, that's accepted and promoted. Uh, but any information that, that runs counter to the policy goal, the political agenda of mass vaccination, just automatically dubbed misinformation. And so, again, we see this in the censorship that's, that's happening. You know, it's okay for, 
you know, for, for if you can put a post, if you put a post up and say, oh, vaccines have, can induce superior immunity to natural immunity, that's fine. They're not going to censor that. You're not going to see a fact check article on any of those posts, even though it's completely false. Um, but, you know, if you, if you try to tell the truth and say even the CDC's own data show that natural immunity is superior, you, you, you get censored. Again, LinkedIn is still to this day blocking me from sharing that information. So, you know, mis- misinformation is, is fine as long as it supports the political agenda. Jumping on uh, just one point you made about the different examples of pseudo-pandemics, they're using the same playbook over and over again. Yeah, yeah, essentially. I mean, it's cause mass fear and panic and scare people into accepting pharmaceutical products as the solution. They notice the, you know, the so-called Again, I used to use the term public health authorities loosely in quotation, public health in quotation marks. Um, You know, they never talk about things that you things that you can do to support your immune system naturally. You know, for for example, every flu season, the CDC says that that, you know, getting your flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu. But where are all the studies comparing, you know, like just getting a, a flu shot compared to people who skip the flu shot? But they, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle, and they get exercise, and they eat right, and they have proper nutrition, and they get plenty of, you know, they may, may maintain sufficiency of vitamin D. Where are the studies comparing those two approaches? They don't want us. They don't want us to be, to be healthy. But this is a really important point you were making that there are no, for many, many of these vaccines, there are no real long-term studies showing their effectiveness or showing the adverse effects that you get as a result the induced diseases that seemingly are unrelated that you can contract later on in life etc and it's it's just wing they're winging it basically and it's exactly what's happening with the with the covid shot we have no idea what will be the ramifications especially with this new technology that they've injected such such a large portion of the population with right in fact there's you know, one of the claims that, like Anthony Fauci, for example, I've seen claim that, well, if, if any any adverse effects that happen from a vaccine would be noticeable within a few weeks or months, you know, a temporal association with the vaccination. That is completely false. There's a whole body of literature on what's called nonspecific effects of vaccines, which are, you know, um, distinct from the short-term, you know, adverse events that you would see that are temporally associated with a vaccine. And where, you know, the mechanisms involved are pretty well understood, things, you know, fever, and um, these types of adverse events, you know, uh, a nonspecific effect, again, a, the perfect example of that is an increased rate risk uh, of childhood mortality associated with non-live vaccines like the DTP vaccine. Um, so th- those, those are called nonspecific effects. And so, you know, vaccines, you know, you're, you're, you're tampering with the immune system. And you can't expect, you know, to tamper with how your immune system functions without there being negative effects long term that that can ripple through your immune system, you know, that that has effects on your your neurology, effects on your brain, effects on your, um, you know, there can be neurological outcomes, um, autoimmune outcomes. You know, what about cancer? I mean, again, fertility, there's a bunch of other things that we need to consider. You know, you, you read the, the package inserts of vaccines, and they say right in there that you know, they haven't been studied for effects on carcinogenity or, um, you know, are they mutagenic or carcinogenic or what are the effects on fertility? 
you know, uh, uh, flu with flu shots. The CDC says that flu shots are safe for pregnant women, but you read the package inserts and the manufacturers themselves say right in there that there there aren't adequate studies to be able to do, to to say that. <laughs> you know, you can't say that they're safe for pregnant women because those studies haven't been done. You know, quality studies they use observational data, but again, you really need randomized controlled trials to be able to know. And they don't do they don't do long term they don't do randomized controlled trials that, that look at long term effects. Um, and this is really, you know, this is a big thing. That there just needs to be a whole paradigm shift. And they're looking so narrowly. They're so narrowly focused. And they know that they should be doing long-term studies, but they don't do them. And I think the reason that they don't do them, um, you know, they, they would come up with all kinds of excuses like cost and, and well, it's just not it's just not feasible or it's just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to do that type of thing. But, you know. They don't want the population <laughs> to know. But this is one of they the... They don't want people to know. No, they don't want people to know. But one of the very positive things with this latest episode or latest application of the playbook with COVID is that people are waking up to the realization that they have done a lot of damage, knowingly so, to our health. You know, you said there's a, we can't even call them health uh, policies or organizations because they've done everything to undermine our health in essence. And more and more people are waking up to that realization. I think the COVID episode has uh, made legions of anti-vaxxers, even though they're trying to stigmatize that word in order to, to scare people from veering into that direction and figuring things out but it uh, they can't stop it too many people now are looking into this and it's thanks thanks to people like you to journalists and reporters like you who are digging all this information and putting it together in a way that is digestible for us to be able to exercise our right to informed consent which they've completely tried to rob us of Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the positive outcomes of what's been happening since COVID-19 pandemic began is that uh, there has been a mass awakening and just this, this realization that has gone into the mainstream uh, of the fact that so-called public health authorities have no credibility. Um, you know, prior to, prior to this, you know, when we were writing about this, if you, if you dared to even question CDC policies, You know, you were labeled a conspiracy theorist just for questioning, <laughs> you know, and that's changed. I mean, now, like, it's in the mainstream. It's in the mainstream discourse. There's open an open conversation about the credibility of agencies like the CDC. Um, and so that's that's a very positive thing because, uh, of course, it, you know, people need to be awakened to the fact that, that the CDC is completely unworthy of our trust. And the WHO uh, and, and all these organizations yeah, all them, all that purport yep. to to actually care uh, of our well-being. Precisely. And so they're not worthy of our trust. And so why should we trust them? Um, you know, trust is earned. And they, they have unearned our trust repeatedly um, with lies and deceptions just routinely and consistently. Um, and, and, you know, predating, of course, COVID-19. But, but COVID-19 has really brought that to the, to the fore where we can – it's just so – clear and obvious they've really overplayed their hand in, in a sense um, where they you know again there is a, they have done things in such a way you know the lockdowns are a good example where they they, they completely threw out the playbook you know they had decades of pandemic planning preparedness guidelines 
and they completely threw out their own playbook in terms of you know scientific literature, um, and, and implement, implemented the lockdowns on, on a false pretext. They're initially claiming that oh it's just going to be a temporary two week thing to, to quote unquote flatten the curve. Well, that was false. They knew it was false from the beginning. The, the, the plan all along was to maintain these um, these strict authoritarian measures indefinitely until they could rapidly roll out a mass vaccination campaign and coerce everyone into getting vaccinated without even considering the costs of those measures, without even considering the, the immense harms that those measures would cause. And now one example of the, of the harm is, is, you know, there's uh, it's been declared a, a public health crisis with the effects on children's mental health. I mean, we could have a um, whole conversation yeah. just about the the consequences of uh, the the measures that were put in place, whether with regards to the mask mandates, the lockdowns, like the the psychological effects, the uh, economical effects. It's just they've destroyed so much. I mean, I'm I'm a super positive person. I'm I know we are in a very deep deep war that we are going to win. Uh, it's just very sad to think about the consequences that many of us will suffer in generations to come because who knows, you know, these children that have been in school as toddlers uh, and, and young children seeing people masked all day, not being able to develop the, these abilities of facial recognition, etc., that participate in socialization, socializing, excuse me, um, I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about this. This, Actually, you're the first guest that comes on the podcast to discuss anything, quote, health-related or pandemic-related. I want to do more of these calls. I've been more vocal on my social media. I was very early on. I said I was never going to get this jab. I'm not a QR code. I refuse to partake in this system. And I really want to contribute to helping in any way that I can to push this information, because you do, as I said at the beginning of the call, amazing work, and more people should be should have access to it. So anytime you'd like to come back on, when you have a new paper or a new book, uh, you should absolutely uh, do so. Great. I look forward to uh, possibly doing this again. Cool. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thank you.